I'm your producer, Todd Bartu, and this is Offshore Explorer. Offshore Explorer looks at the world from the sailor's point of view, port by port. Together, we share stories that detail the important intersections between sailing culture and life. Coming up on today's episode, old money, new money, and stupid money all meet in a little town called Monte Carlo. But first, let me introduce our host, a lifelong sailor who has traveled the world from mega yachts to tugboats to iceboats, and a published author who has written for both stage and screen, Captain Scott Dodson. Hello, Todd. How are you today? We're a little foggy down here with a big uh, overcast day in the high 50s. Um, the water has laid down. The wind and waves have laid down a little bit today. So uh, Santa Monica Bay is uh, looking uh, pretty good to go sailing in. So we got, got a lot of great response to the uh, last episode. And I did want to share that we got a, another five-star review on uh, Apple iTunes from Mia Noy. She said, don't let the title Offshore Explorer make you think it's a podcast only about sailing. The narrator, Scott Dodgson, uses sailing as a vehicle to talk about life's journey. Centering around maritime experiences that have shaped his life, Dodgson's essays provide a moral compass you can apply to your own daily encounters and situations. My favorite Dodgson advice goes something like, first find the boat and then look for the woman. In other words, follow your dream and see what happens. Have a listen. It might make you follow your dream. Thank you very much, Mia, for those kind words. And if you want to hear your review on the podcast, you can go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice five-star review. Thank you very much. Thank you, Todd, for reading that. That's, uh, it's, it's, it's nice to know that uh, somebody's listening, and I'm very appreciative and, and thankful. Um, yeah, it's very moving. Yes, thank, thank you. you. We got we get a lot of great responses from you guys. We love hearing from you. So, what do we have in plan for today's episode? Well, today I'm talking about Monaco. Um, everybody's got a bucket list of places, and I think Monaco should be the bucket list for places to sail into. And um, I've I've sailed into Monaco on my own um, CT fifty four. And I've brought in um, uh, 90-foot uh, yachts, 220-foot uh, yachts, and, and have been kind of a staple. I have a lot of stories about Monaco. But in this episode, I'm really talking about um, the center of Monaco is the sailing world and about the, the new money, the old money, and the truly stupid dumb money that exists in Monaco and in that part of the world. And it's a fascinating place. As uh, I say in the piece, you'll, you'll see it. I hope you enjoy it. Great. Take it away, Scott. Monaco. There's a lot uh, that happens in your head when you say Monaco. Um, some people are probably a great percentage of people in the world. When you say Monaco, we instantly think about the Formula One race in May in Monaco. And the Formula One race has a great, great um, 
deal of influence in Monaco all throughout the year. Um, but that's one way people will think about it. Another way, um, and if you're a little bit older, you might kind of remember this. And if you don't remember it or know it, it's probably something you should look up and experience for yourself because it's one of the coolest things. Uh, Grace Kelly and, and Cary Grant um, filmed a movie, To Catch a Thief, which when it came out was one of the great, was a great movie. Great number of people watched it. It was a, it was a real Hollywood kind of blockbuster at the time. And Grace Kelly was a huge huge star and I mean there's no stars like her today at all um, what was even uh, more uh, amazing is she ended up um, marrying the Prince of Monaco and this was a fairy tale uh, in its making and it was worldwide coverage um, we're talking about the 50s, early 50, late 50s, early 60s. It was a real all-American girl, beautiful all-American girl, going to marry a Grimaldi, which, by the way, the Grimaldis have owned uh, Monaco for close to 700 years. Their family line has um, existed. Um, for that long, Prince Albert is now the, the ruler, his father having passed away. But there's, a, there's this uh, panache, there's this flavor, there's this mixture of uh, old money, and I mean really old money, and new money, and just plain dumb money. Now, the first time that I went into Monaco, I had actually, I was on my CT-54, and I sailed out of uh, Nice, and it's it's not very far. I just motored. It was a beautiful, quiet morning, um, as you'll find in the Mediterranean um, for most times during the summer, you know, just a sort of um, haze over the water, you know, maybe... 20, 30 feet above the water, the haze would just sit and, and you'd motor through, um, you know, fairly placid, oily looking seas. Um, and you just kind of motor right along the coast. And you come to a number of, you know, landmarks and, you know, Villafranche, um, different kinds of peninsulas that come out and and dotted on these peninsulas are beautiful homes and restaurants and hotels and it's it is the lavish part of of the south of france now i know there's a lot of guys sitting uh, you know in their boat or at home going like i don't give about this this place and monaco and stuff like that but I'd like you to kind of listen a little bit because I think that um, one of the coolest pl things about this place is is that even though it has this entire image of being just for the super wealthy, I mean, really super wealthy, and there's a lot of super wealthy people there. They're everywhere, okay? But it's still a kind of cool place 
just to go visit the the Monaco um, Marine Museum or the Jacques Cousteau Museum as they call it um, is one of the coolest underwater museums you'll ever find in the world. I mean, it's definite some bucket list stuff. And it's even cooler if you can take your boat in there. And I'm saying this because I don't want you to feel like you're intimidated by all these big mega yachts. Because the thing about a mega yacht is every single one of those people that are working on those mega yachts is going to be looking down, not at you, but looking down at with envy that you're in your own boat, that you're sailing into Monaco, and that is something that they dream of, that they could do it. So don't feel intimidated by big, you know, big mega yachts and all the rest. And I'm going to talk about that difference between the really wealthy owner and the average owner, and then the stupid owner. And they're across, stupid owners are across all social um norms and contacts it's just they're everywhere okay and 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 it's hard to not run into stupid owners okay but i'm counting on the fact that probably most of the guys um and gals that listen to this podcast um are not part of that crowd um otherwise i'd probably have a much bigger following just kidding just kidding so it's safe to say that Honestly, there's no other place in the world like Monaco. Somerset Maugham, famous British writer, um, said of Monte Carlo. Now, Monte Carlo is the town in Monaco. Okay, it's a town in Monaco. Monaco is the principality. Monte Carlo is the town. And, of course, we all remember, you know, James Bond at the casino in Monte Carlo and stuff, which I might add the casino is okay to go to. Um, compared to Vegas, um, compared to other places, um, maybe even Atlantic city, it's a little dull and a little old fashioned, but even with that, it has a kind of charm and you don't even go in there during the day. You don't go into the casino. I mean, midnight, maybe one o'clock better. And it's a good, yeah, it's a good place to go get a drink, throw down um, a couple of bucks and, and let it ride on whatever. And um, you could play it that way. But it's, it's really sort of frumpy, to say the least. Unlike the James Bond movie where it says, uh, shaken, not stirred. Bond, my name is Bond, James Bond. These are all like the cultural things that are all around Monaco. So I came in um, with my boat puttering along and um, called on um, using channel 16. And then I switched over and I think it was channel 12 uh, with the dock master, the harbor master. And um, they're pretty good. They do, um, they do speak some English most of the time. And um, depending on who you get, but for the most part, the dock masters do speak English because they have to deal with a lot of English uh, captains and, you know, just generally. And then they will tell you where to go um, for your boat. And this is when you get really segregated. So I ended up coming over and getting in the little marina part because my boat wasn't, you know, 600 feet 
And um, so you get to go, you know, tie up to the dock. Um, it's not that expensive to stay overnight uh, or for a couple of nights. It's, it's on par with everything else. This is a surprising thing about Monaco in general. Um, it looks real expensive. It can be real expensive. Don't get me wrong. But if you're a wise um, and kind of shop price, you can find all sorts of bargains. Because you have to remember, there's a lot of people that are not rich that live in Monaco. There's a lot about the people of Monaco that a lot of people don't understand. There's a, a lot of working class folks. Um, all these uh, hotels and businesses and bakeries and restaurants and you know, this is, there's, you can't just be somebody come in there and try to work. Um, it's the people of Monaco, the Monegasque is, um, they have the right for the jobs and it's in the law. So like a French person can't come in and just start working in Monaco at a restaurant or something. They have to be Monegasque. Um, they have exceptions and rules. The great thing about Monaco, Monaco is there's always exceptions and rules, lots of exceptions and rules. And it depends on who you know. Um, it's that old school, depends on who you know. But the, 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 the prince is the key. He's, he's in charge of everything. Um, their police force, you've never actually ever been to a place where there's more, there's, I believe the statistic is there's one policeman for every hundred people in, in Monaco. And there are security cameras in every store in every elevator, in every, in the port, on the streets, everywhere. You're completely, um, you're completely uh, surveyed. And it's probably one of the heaviest surveilled places in the world. Um, but because of that, it's very safe. And the reason that they have this surveillance is because um, there's a lot of very wealthy people, and there's also a lot of shady people. As Somerset Maugham said, you know, Monaco is uh, a sunny place for shady people. And this sunny place, and it is very sunny, um, it's kind of sits in a, a, an interesting ecological uh, temperate zone um, just below the Alp. And um, it can stay very warm most almost throughout the year, and it's a it's it's a lovely climate. It's a very lovely climate. So I brought my boat in. I got on the dock, tied it off, filled up my papers. Um, I went to the office. I paid my fees. Um, they're very efficient. They hooked me up with electricity. Um, one of the things when you're in foreign parts ports is that there's always different kinds of electricity. Um, different plugs maybe need it. Um, it's nothing is standardized um, in a lot of places. And it's kind of frustrating like that. I used to have on my big boat, I had probably 10 different kinds of pigtails to plug into different kinds of boxes, um, different arrangements. Um, you know, it's 220 volt. And, um, you know, it's... You have to be careful. You can split it, and um, you can run your 110 off of the off of the 220 with uh, just one pole. But anyway, they'll help you with that. There's a f obviously there's a fee for that, and you know I'm not talking about going there with like 50 bucks in your pocket. You better have a couple of bucks in your pocket. But I think 
of all the places you could sail into, Monaco is one of the coolest places. And it's cool because of the way it looks. You know, the harbor, um, Port Hercule, is this is is it is it is like at the bottom of a bowl. And you've got the prince and his houses up on the up on one side, and then all the way around it, you have all these high rises, okay, up in the mountain, and it just rises up from the port, goes all the way around the mountain. And it's like you're in a giant bowl. And at night, which is interesting, you know, is that the lights in the high rises are generally off. There's only a few, but people from all over the world who have money, they use this place as their residence. And this is the tax haven. This is, and there's been a lot of talk about changing it, and the French have been pressuring. Prince Albert to, you know, get rid of this, but the, you know, the banks, there's so many banks and you need so much money to even open an account. I just, out of curiosity, I went into a bank, a bank of Monaco and they, they wouldn't open a bank account for less than $250,000 unless you were Monegasque. And then you could open up, you know, like a regular bank checking account with like a hundred bucks. So, you know, citizenship means something in this place. But a lot of friends of mine that are Monegasque, they have like these separate businesses because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of um, manufacturing there. It's not a lot of trade. Um, wages are kind of low, um, as they are in most of this this part of France or of France, so, southern France, and of Monaco. And, and so what they do is, as, as one of my friends, she has her, outside her door, she has all these little brass plaques and all these other companies, all sorts of companies from all over the world, some Chinese, Japanese, you know, all sorts of companies and stuff. And what she is, is she's the home office for all these companies. And she gets paid a nominal fee to be the home office for these companies. It's a great, it's a great job. She doesn't do anything, but gets the paperwork. Somebody comes eventually, she either, she'll mail the paperwork to the company's real home address or whatever the case may be. But this is their declared offshore headquarters. So the shady part comes into focus. So one of the things that I was always fascinated with and um, I love racing, love sailboat racing, but I also love Formula One racing. And I've always been absolutely entranced by Formula One racing. And I go back to my, my father, who was a metallurgical engineer. And um, he developed a number of uh, alloys, um, high temperature alloys. He worked for a company called Cabot Corporation. And he developed, um, he was on a team that developed a lot of, of these um, high-performance alloys for jet engines, for nuclear reactors, um, for all sorts of different places. Horseshoes, for example. Um, and cutting blades for like Heinz Pickle and all kinds of weird stuff like that. But, you know, metallurgically interesting high-performance alloys. Well, um, he, he was working on a process and it's called canning and this powder process. And the, he created a crankshaft out of this 
and and ended up that uh, Mr. Enzio Ferrari had heard about this and came and um, had my dad make a couple for the Ferrari, which in fact he did um, because they didn't require machining and, you know, all the molecules were in, in the right place and in the right direction and, you know, it would be impossible to crack and, and you could actually run this crankshaft without oil um, because it didn't, the heat didn't make any difference. They did run it with oil, but I'm just saying that it could have run without oil. So my, my father um, was given an opportunity to, at the time, lease a, a very inexpensively, lease a uh, Ferrari. And um, I think it was a 408. And um, so we kept it in the garage. My dad was actually terrified to drive it. My mom wouldn't touch it. And if this whole thing is because the lease was paid by some by the company and it was like a present for Mr. Ferrari. And it was like, thank you very much. And, you know, my dad, who was an engineer and, you know, with the thick glasses and the pocket protector, would, you know, it, oh, yeah, it's a nice car. And then he would go off and do what he did. He didn't do it. But when I was 15 and a half, my parents were gone and I took it out of the garage and drove it around for an evening and got in enormous trouble because they thought someone stole the car, which kind of I did. But so I drove this Ferrari around Philadelphia at ridiculous speeds at 15 and a half. I was, um, and still am today, permanently, um, um, I've got to be in my room almost always. I've been grounded permanently. And, um, it was uh, one of the greatest experiences I ever had driving that car. Um, and at the time, I couldn't drive. I mean, I really, I had been practicing driving, but the the most I could do is drive the car back and forth in the driveway, up and down, back and forth. Um, that was it. And wash it. I washed it a lot. But doing the Ferrari was a totally different trip. And um, But anyway, my love for the racing was all there. And, you know, I just love the you know, Graham Hill and Jackie Stewart and, you know, of course, Michael Schumacher and, you know, all the great, all the great drivers, you know, Sienna and, and just, you know, and, and, and Hamilton today. And, and I just loved the whole sport and the way it is. And it's a kind of interesting thing. And if I saw that Monte Carlo became very famous because Grace Kelly was, quite famous and she was very famous in Philadelphia because she came from Philadelphia and her father was was Kelly for brickwork he was a, he owned a brickwork company and he was he was very famous in rough and tumble time in politics this that another thing in any case that's kind of why people all knew about Monaco um, is because of Grace Kelly um, otherwise I don't think anybody really would have paid much attention to a sleepy little port town in the south of France, close to the border with Italy. So I'm telling you all of this because I think it's important when you go, if you're cruising, and if you're not cruising, it's kind of fun to go to a place that's got all this kind of history and all this kind of interesting um, celebrity um, stuff, but it's still pretty much down to earth. So one of my things when I first went in there with my boat was I wanted to go and visit all the places. And I wanted to walk the course of Formula One, 
then this is just a thing about me. Um, this is, you know, something that I like to do. And I'm sure there's a lot of places that you guys um, would like to go and say, you know, I'd like to do this. What I discovered was that most of Monaco, a lot of Monaco, is kind of hidden. You don't see it. It's it's in the mountain. There's malls. There's escalators. Um, there's all sorts of places that are kind of, you know, hidden. And um, it's kind of cool that they are hidden because you can just, you know, kind of just, you can kind of just wander around. Now, if you can't get into um, the port, which actually I think the official name is uh Port du uh, Fontainebleau. Um, if you can't get into that port, there's another port that's actually quite, quite, quite close to it, which is on the other side of where the museum is, um, uh, west. Okay, and there you'll find that's they have the Marriott, um, Riviera Marriott there, and they have a nice little place. Um, it's also right where the uh, prince's uh, residence is. Now, if you can't kind of do that, you can always take the train in. Very simple. You can be in Nice, take the train to Monaco. Um, get off, it's very convenient, costs nothing. And when you get off the train, you're underground, and then you can come up on the escalator, and you're right there in the port. It's just that simple. Um, I had done that a number of times um, where I couldn't get my boat into uh, the port. And sometimes that is a difficult thing, but there's always alternatives out there. And, and the ports, for the most part, are regulated price-wise. So, I mean, there are places that are really expensive. But if you see these giant mega yachts, they're paying the same footage price as you are. Um, nobody's getting anything special, but for them, it's a kind of a relative cost. You know, you put it, I've put a 120-foot and a 160-foot and a 220-foot yacht into monaco for the form for formula one for the formula one weekend and that was because i had a finnish owner and this refers to uh new money he had a big yacht he was actually technically his father started the business so it wasn't new new money but he was kind of a new money kind of guy and he didn't really know what to spend his money on and this is what how you can really tell the new money. They don't know what to spend their money on. It's like that, you know, they, they need advice. They don't get it, but they're in incredible competition with the old money. And it's kind of silly because the old money doesn't care because it's so old and it's so much. I mean, there's people that are billionaires that you you don't even know, Okay that their names never come up, their corporations never come up. It's just, that's just the way it is. And they have their certain, they have their certain interests, just like all of us, you know? Like if you like uh, football, you know, they like football, they like soccer, right? That's what they do. They, they'll go to soccer matches. You wouldn't know that you're sitting next to a billionaire, except for the fact that they may have 60 guards around them. But outside of that, you couldn't tell. So being in the port is actually very lovely. It can be warm in the summer because there's not much breeze that comes off of the mountain. And you're sort of tied up. But in the evening, it's absolutely beautiful to walk along the port. 
Um, there's plenty of beautiful little restaurants um, all over, and you can get really good food at a decent pr- at a decent price. And it's um, I wouldn't say Monaco is a place of the greatest food, um, but it's there's a lot it's a it's good quality and it's it'll it'll satisfy you. But there's two kinds of things that go on there is because now they have cruise ships coming in. So you have all the cruise ship people, which kind of swarm all the shops and all the rest of the stuff. And I remember the arguments for when they were talking about actually starting this cruise ship docking thing. And, and people come in and they spend their money and they leave. And they do that because most of the shops are owned by, all the shops are owned by the Montagasque. And it was their way of, of making money. It's literally the same thing that happens in the Caribbean if you go into St. Thomas or St. Martin or any of those places. You know, cruise ship comes in, people disembark, they go out, they spend 200, 500, whatever, and they're gone in the, they're gone in the evening because that's kind of the way it goes. Um, so that's kind of the new money, guys. The, you could tell, you know, the new money usually has the Italian boats, um, you know, go fast boats, um, older, older new money. Maybe we'll get into um, a Benetti. Uh, maybe they get a sailboat and they get a Perini Navi. I've taken a Perini Navi in there several times and there's sort of this whole status thing going on. I mean, I was in there with my little CT, right? And I had more people come up to me and say, oh man, you got a beautiful boat and this is so nice. And I mean, these are all like crew members and stuff. So there's a kind of, there's a kind of need to do that. And even if you come in with a little Beneteau or you come in with some other sort of smaller boat in the 20s or 30s or whatever, you know, feet wise, people are going to have a great deal of respect for you because they, they respect sailors there. Sailing is a big thing with the Grimaldi um, family, and it's a big thing with um, oceanographic stuff, and especially with, you know, the museum and everything there. So there's a lot of fun um, sailing regattas that go on there, and, and it's all year round. It's, it's just, it's a really kind of unknown but cool place where they have a lot of um, great boats. I think if you see some of the um, you know, they have the, uh, St. Tropez race. They have another, which is all classics. They have another race in, um, in Antibes, which is again, classics. And they come to Monaco and they do a classics race there too. So it's kind of a part of a circuit and they have bigger boats that go out, um, and race. Younger is in Cannes. They do a big race for Youngerts, um, and a couple of other boats there. So that's a kind of, you can always see a good race and you can, Actually, I was on a crew once um, for uh, some J-boats that were there running around. And uh, we were out racing, and I just I was sitting on the rail just enjoying myself. I wasn't going to do any work. Um, it was a lot of fun. But there are some really beautiful boats. I mean, if you want to do eye candy and wander around the docks and just take a look at them, it's a great place to watch them because you'll see great boats one after another and they're all kept totally pristine in bristol so the boats that you do see some of the classic boats some of the old money that's involved with it um old money they they've got their own things right they've got their big mega yachts they've got not outlandish mega yachts 
maybe they have like a five-year-old, 10-year-old fed ship. Okay. Now that's okay. That's a big deal to have a boat like that. But, you know, for the most part, it's kind of a, it's an interesting class of people. They come in, they go out. Um, you know, if it's not during Formula One race week, um, you know, people go, they go shopping, carry their own groceries. There's, there's a whole process, which is kind of interesting. And then that's sort of the new money, the old money. The old money um, probably is a member of the Monaco Yacht Club. And they'll go up there with their sports jackets on and stuff like that. Um, I worked uh, for a man who was a member of the Monaco Yacht Club. And I got to go in and have dinner there a couple of times with all the, you know, the ancient waiters and all the rest of this stuff. And it's just, just to be a part of that kind of magic, because a lot of, if you have a lot of money, there's almost like an aura around some of these people, which is crazy to say, because they're just like us, normal people. There's people, right? But, you know, they're just, they're just this amazing thing. You know, it's just like, yes, I have a billion dollars and I'm walking around in Monaco in a pair of beat up old sailing shoes. And that's what you run into. And you can have some great conversations. You meet some great people. Um, Stars and Stripes is a famous American bar uh, that's there. Again, the American tradition of Grace Kelly. There's still an American presence in that regard there because her family is is also part um has a citizenship to America as well as being um Monegasque. And it's a it's a typical if you if like me who spent years and years and years uh going from the Caribbean to um Greece and Turkey. I used to love to go into Stars and Stripes and get myself like burger fries and a beer. American food. Right? I just loved it. And that's a place you can find it. Now, there's a few other restaurants there. There's a Peruvian restaurant that's over on the other side of Monte Carlo um, called uh, um, Coyo. And um, all the restaurants over there all have like terraces that you could sit, you could eat. Now, the reason I'm telling you this and giving you this sort of long recitation on the positiveness of, of Monaco in sort of the little tiny gray areas of Monaco, I want to say there's there's a couple of stories. And one of the stories is about dumb money. Now, when the Russians were let out, <laughs> I say that like, you know, they were trapped. When the Russians were let out, they came to the south of France and to Monaco literally with bags of money. Most of it stolen, okay? And they wanted to live the high life. They wanted to buy big mega yachts, but they didn't know how to go through with it. They didn't know how to buy, but they used to, I had them stand at the passerelle on the dock looking up with two suitcases, big ass suitcases full of cash and say, I want to buy this boat. Like they were going to move on just as soon as they hand me the cash. True story. And that's the dumb money. And what they do is they, there's a lot of mafia money there from all kinds of mafias. There's a lot of, of African um, dictator kind of money. There's a lot of dirty money in general there. 
And what they do is they try to come there and have class. They try to buy class. And, and you could see it eventually in the boats. Like the Russians, they love to buy themselves the Italian boats. They bought Italian boats. They went through Italian boats like you couldn't believe. And then somebody said to them, oh, you should have a Fed ship. And then they started to build their own boats. You know, they're going to build a big Dutch boat. And now you have a lot of these Russian people that have these uh, oligarchs who have these big mega yachts that, um, you know, they're just, they're just bigger than cruise ships, you know. But the problem with this is, is this, this is dumb money. This is just people throwing money around. And they're dumb people in, that spend money like that to a certain degree. And I don't mean to be harsh, but it really isn't necessary because who are you trying to impress? That's the question. Who are you trying to impress? And, and you know, it comes down. I mean, I had a Finnish owner, and he was, he was very competitive. A lot of these guys who have money, and look, having money doesn't give you any, doesn't mean you have more character. Probably means you have less. It doesn't mean that you're a super special person. Um, it's just, just, you you lucked out in the whole world of roulette and money and you ended up with a pocket full of it. And you've tried to figure out how to spend it. And a lot of these guys happen to be very, very, very narcissistic and selfish. The guy I worked for was the same way. That's the reason we I quit working for him. But I was there and we were in Monaco and he invited Mika Hakkinen, very famous Formula One driver, world champion, and we were right next to, our, our boat was right next to Michael Schumacher's boat. Two famous race car drivers, world champions. And, you know, it was, that was the party between the two boats. And this was very impressive for this guy. And he could go back to Finland and say, this is what I did in Monaco with all my money. And it, it made a difference for him. For me, it was just a, a very hard day. back to that's kind of like the stupid old stupid money and one story was a friend of mine who is South African uh, he brought in a, a, it was a Benetti and he had a new owner and the Benetti was owned by these guys who were Austrian and um, they were Austrian they owned a big TV network loads of money and um, absolutely no morals whatsoever and, and he was, uh, my friend Joshua was a very sort of, he was a South African guy, a very high moral um, um, bar. And he was very upset when they asked him, could he get them um, some hookers, some, you know, call girls, um, some escorts, and all the rest of this stuff. And he was totally baffled. Uh, he, he didn't, he couldn't figure out why anybody would want that. And he couldn't figure out a lot of stuff. So he came to Scott. And Scott hooked him up. Spent tons of money. They came, the, the escorts I got out of France, you know, all these girls, they, they're, they're gorgeous. They're intelligent. Um, they, they know how to do the game. Uh, and they're quite expensive. And can be a lot of fun. And that's just, just kind of what they do. 
Um, they're not idiots, these girls. Anyway, I had them all come down, flew them down on, on their private jet, and got them on the boat. And then this crazy thing happened is the owners sent the captain away, the South African guy. And actually, he, he didn't go far. He took like a vacation and left me sort of partially in charge of his boat, just looking after it. And this is a Benetti. It was like a hundred and this was a hundred and twenty foot Benetti. Okay. And it, you know, there was people check the engineer would come and check on the boat, you know, but he wasn't allowed to be on the boat um while the girls were on. There was like this real restricted kind of thing. But I was because I ended up getting all the girls and we were docked right next to him in Monaco. So these two guys who own the comp these Austrians who own the the um, the big channel, the television station. It's I, I won't say their names and stuff like that because they're they're really quite famous, um, and they did have something. If you really if you really want to know, they had a lot to do with Formula One until suddenly a billion dollars went missing, and which is typical of um, the people in Monte Carlo or Monaco. So they had to leave because there was an emergency. So the two of them left and there were four, four girls left on the boat. So we ended, <laughs> I ended up partying with them, um, for, you know, like the rest of the time that they were there for like a week, it was all paid for. We had a blast. They were so much fun. The pressure was off. They didn't have to impress anybody. It was just people out there, you know, going around and, a lot of people in the marina, and this is something you have to be very careful about, a lot of people in the marina can see what's going on. It's like a big bowl, right? So everybody knows what everybody else is doing business-wise. So they see me cavorting around on the dock with all these beautiful girls, right, who they all assume are hookers. And I developed a very fast uh, reputation at that point as being a player in, uh, in Monaco. And it wasn't through, you know, me trying to be a player. It was, you know, taking care of them, you know, being on the boat, having to make, you know, make sure that they got food, make, you know, we all went out one time. We, you know, we did a couple of, you know, we had a couple of parties and stuff like that. And it all worked out really, really, really well for me and for them because I got paid. They got a giant tip. They got flown back in a private jet back to Paris and they were off on their next gig. I mean, these... Yeah, I mean, we're talking twenty, thirty thousand dollars a day for these chicks. It's great work if you can get it. But this is kind of the whole thing about Monaco. This stuff happens, and it happens on a regular basis. But if you're a regular sailor, okay, you're kind of scratching your head about this stuff. It's just like you know, because it's like it's outside the wall that you live behind. And I ended up having this time of, of cracking it. Now, another thing about this, and this is kind of an old, mon old money story, which is, um, as many of you can guess, that I am a writer, and I've been a writer for a very long time. I've written a number of movies. And um, I had a friend of mine who was an American who introduced me to this woman who was... Um, uh, very well connected to the Monaco Opera. And she hooked me up with this Italian composer, young guy. 
and I was going to write a libretto, and we were going to we were going to be we got paid a commission to do a new uh, show for the Monaco Opera Company. This opened up a part of Monaco that I didn't even know existed. This was the old money I love opera group. So I went to see this woman. Um, my American friend, she took me up there, and I went to see this woman. And at the time, age is important here. So at the time, I was about 45, 46, maybe. Um, she was probably late 50s, early 60s, and absolutely gorgeous. And she was sitting by the pool in a chase lounge, and this is just like out of some 50s movie with a big giant hat, big giant sunglasses, and a very sheer bathing suit cover. And she was topless, and she was bottomless, and she was there to seduce me. And we went swimming, and one thing led to another thing, and I thought this is what I needed to do to get my librato deal because I really wanted to write this librato and I was having fun and I wasn't attached to anybody and it was just me and she was beautiful and she was loaded with money so it was like oh I'm going to be a gigolo today I wasn't taking money I wasn't interested in the money I wasn't going in that direction what I was interested in was making enough money okay so that I could buy some new halyards that's really where I was going. I, I really, I needed a couple of sale repairs. Um, I needed to pay for my slip fees. Um, and I needed the money for all these things, for the boat. So we had this great time. And, and I got the job, and I started to work with this Italian fellow down on the boat in Monaco. I moved the boat around in Monaco into uh, Port Hercule. And um, we sat on the boat and, and wrote, uh, you know, discussed uh, the librato. And I wrote the librato. He wrote the music. And, um, you know, then we went to his little tiny apartment in Monaco. And we worked, we worked furiously. He had a piano and stuff in there. And um, we put it together. And ironically, uh, he, he actually got fired um, and left and went back to Italy and... Um, the whole commission part of it was paid, and and nothing ever came of it, um, of the opera itself. And, and I had actually lost track of it and hadn't even thought about it until I started this podcast, and that came up. But it opened up a world of these, the gigolo world in Monaco, which is, is <laughs> there, it's, it's amazing. Um, a friend of mine who is an American... Um, who is a part of an extremely um, wealthy uh, family from Pittsburgh. Um, she uh, got into a relationship with a guy. She's extremely wealthy. He was extremely poor, but very charming and very handsome and all the rest. He was an Italian fellow. And, and, and she finally broke up with him in a kind of just sort of general innocence thing. And then in Monaco, he sued her because he said that she promised him $250,000, which she didn't. And it just, it, it, she couldn't, she was, she was flabbergasted 
by this this whole thing. And she and I, we went out on my boat. We went out sailing, and she sort of explained it. And it's always cool when you get people on the boat. As soon as you get out the breakwater, they open up and they start talking to you. Like they're saying, this is this, and this is that, and here's what we're going to do, and here's what we're going to do for that. And it's kind of an interesting, I don't know, little psychological thing that goes on. So there's this kind of element in that kind of thing. And then I have to get back to my friend from South Africa, Joshua. Joshua backed his, uh, his Benetti 120. This is a different time. And this is, this is part of the risks one runs. He backed his boat in and had a problem. He got a foul of one of somebody's lines, um, somebody's anchor, and he ended up scratching the hell out of another boat. And I think it was a Falcon 90 or something. And he was very apologetic, and the crew didn't do their job in terms of fending off, which is a really important thing to do. Um, always have your crew with fenders in hand. And um, I always wonder why people have boat hooks in their hand. Um, that always surprised me because a boat hook is like a useless, it's a useless thing. Um, unless you're going to scoop something up and pick it up, like pick up a mooring ball or something like that. Otherwise, it's it's sort of useless. Um, but in any case... Um, the guy he ran into the boat he admitted it they all got settled um he told the guy says look let me let me pay for it let me take care of it this is the right thing to do if you scratch somebody else's boat you pay for it okay that's just the way it goes that's your shit figure it out so he said yeah okay i'll do this i'll do that and do this and next day <laughs> joshua gets one of the mates comes over and says look the owner would like to speak with you or your owner about the scratch in his boat. He says, oh, yeah, no worries. He says, well, he's got a place. You know, he's in, a, he's in his apartment. And and Joshua came over to me, and he says, Scott, could you come with me? I said, sure. He says, I'm a little afraid. I said, why is that? He says, this guy, I understand he's a pretty volatile Russian guy. And I, I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get into that shit. And finally... <laughs> Finally, he convinces me. I say, okay, fine. So we go up to this this swank apartment about 25 stories up. And we go into the apartment. And, and the guy is there in a kind of, you know, like a uh, Hawaiian shirt and shorts. He's heavy set. And he's got plugs of hair coming out all over the place like this. And he's drinking and he's smoking his cigar. And he says, what do you do to my boat? Da, 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 da. He's going through all this kind of stuff. And, and Joshua, who's a very quiet, very moral, very sweet man, is like completely intimidated by this guy. And he's got these other thugs in the room with him. And they kind of... I'm standing there and they asked me who I am. And I said, I'm just a friend of his. I just came along and I had two big guys standing in front of me, looking at me, staring at me. And I'm standing there smelling their cabbage ass breath. And, and, and Joshua sort of gets separated. Next thing I know, there's two guys holding Joshua's ankles over the balcony. And this Russian guy is screaming at him when he's going to get his money to pay for the boat. And for the repairs. 
and uh, the inconvenience and this and that. And he's going on and on and on and on and on. Finally, they get him back in the thing, back on the on the balcony. And poor Joshua is as white as a sheet. He's about ready to shit in his pants. I think he actually did. All right. And I just shoved one of these big guys away from me. And I just said, you know, I told him, I said, this is, this is out. This is not going to happen. This is bullshit. I don't care who the fuck you are. And I started to get into it. And me and the Russian guy, we're going at He's speaking Russian. We're spitting on each other, yelling and screaming at each other. And poor Joshua is just like, he's like a crumpled mush of a human being on the floor. And finally, they reached a crescendo and we all started to calm down. And, you know, the money's going to, the money is there. You know, it should be in your account and this, that, another thing. Go check your account or you're not smart enough to check your own bank account or whatever the case may be. I mean, we're just throwing insults back and forth. Next thing you know, everything gets calm, right? They check the bank account. The money they asked for the repairs and all the rest is in the bank account. There's a little note from the insurance company. It's in the bank. Everything is copacetic. Everything is happy. So this Russian guy, he calms down asks me if I'd like a drink. He looked at poor Joshua. He said, maybe Joshua needs to go change his pants. So this Russian guy and I had a quick drink, and then we left because he was so volatile, it would, it would be just too dangerous to stay there for too long. We get, his boat got repaired, like in a jiffy, because it wasn't that bad. And that was sort of the craziest. This is how crazy Monaco can be on a step-by-step process. But I love Monaco because, you know, it's, it's full of everything that's in opera. There's fear and loathing and competition and jealousy and out-and-out savagery. There's pettiness and anger and... And, and all of this is done with a kind of glossy smile of polite irony. And the yachts and boats in Monaco are the absolute center of the world. If you have a boat in Monaco, I don't care if you have a dinghy in Monaco, your ego can rest assured that you'll be respected by everybody that's in the sailing community there. Because it's really a sailing community. So you got the, the new money who doesn't know how to spend money, who's generally rude, who don't know shit, and, and you know are always looking to figure out how to compete. And their problem is, is there is no competition because you can't compete with old money. Old money has class. In some cases, they have no, they don't have any class at all. And I'm talking about money that's hundreds of years old. I'm not talking about like they made their money, you know, two generations ago. I'm talking about old money that has been made. Like I worked for this wonderful Argentinian man and his family. And they had a beautiful boat. They had seven boats in the world. Okay. And I asked him once, I said, well, what do you do? And he said he was an industrialist. You know, he didn't own a bakery. He didn't own a paint company. He didn't own a cement factory. He didn't own a cattle ranch. He owned all that stuff. 
okay, he was an industrious. He was polite. He was the most polite man in the, in the world. The worst thing he ever said to me was something was unpleasant. Other than that, he was, he was very easy to deal with. I worked for, for people that, you know, that knew money that would yell and scream over nothing you know, save a dime here or whatever the case. These people, they didn't care about. They had their routine. They had their life. They knew what they wanted. And this is what they would do. And in Monaco, you get all of these things, the dumb money, like the Russian money. And there's other dumb money there that, that do stupid stuff with their money and, and throw elaborate parties and try to impress everybody. And nobody really pays attention to them. They go in and they spend thousands of dollars in a restaurant over, you know, five, ten thousand dollars easy. People drop cash left and right. And, and the place is filled with celebrities. You know, a lot of the race car drivers in Formula One, they live in Monaco for the tax breaks. And there's a lot of very wealthy bankers. You know, Monaco is really a banking center. And all those bankers, they may be boring fellows with bald pates, but they are quite powerful and they do a lot of crazy stuff. But Monaco is sort of the home for all that crazy stuff. And the person who rides over that is the prince of Monaco. So in a sense, this is not reality. And in another sense, it's really reality. And having a boat and sailing in and sailing out. It's a great place to do that. It's the, the services are wonderful for the boats. Um, it's worth a stop. If you can't get your boat into, um, Port Hercule, um, you know, you could put your boat in Nice, plenty of slips in Nice or even Antibes. I used to take the train from Antibes to, to Monaco, go through Nice with the train, you know, it doesn't cost very much and it's very cheap, but one of the reasons that we like to travel and we like to travel by boats is to see the different kinds of neighborhoods, the different kinds of ports, the different kinds of people. And in Monaco, you'll find a very exclusive group of maniacs, of wealthy people, um, sort of a tribe unto their own, and, um, but always great respect for boating and a great, and a great time to go boating there. And it's a great place to see amazing boats. So if that is something that you're really interested in, definitely have Monaco on your bucket list. Try to make it in May because they have a regatta, a couple of regattas around May, and then they have Formula One. And you could watch those cars race through these little tiny streets. It is a spectacle that is unrivaled, honestly, in the world. Because it is just, it's so very French and Italian and Monaco kind of place. It's just, it has its own world. And it's very exciting to be there. And you'll meet all sorts of shady characters and fun people and interesting people. And who knows, maybe you'll get to write a librato and, and go out and race on a, on a J-boat. Um, in the afternoon. Thanks.
Thanks for sharing, Scott. That was a really interesting story. You know, I've been to I've been to Monte Carlo a couple of times. You know, you go, you see the casino, and they park the fancy cars out in front. And you know, I always we we always take the train over from Cannes because um, it's a very short short train ride. Just you know, if you're in the area, just uh, grab a bottle of wine, sit on the train, that nice uh, trip along the coast. It's it's a great view. Um, it's something I really enjoy going to see. It's like its own little world there. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it is a very and I mean it's only been there and like this for about seven hundred years, so it's nothing new. Rich people have been going to Monaco forever because the Grimaldis were the bankers of Europe um, for centuries. And um, they're no longer, obviously, you have all these corporations and stuff, but, you know, it, it, you can go in and get a citizenship in Monaco and a tax break for, the number used to be about $250,000. It's, I think, gone up a little bit. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's money place. It's a total money place. But there's so much more to it, as I said. Um, and, and so much interesting stuff. And there's like regular people who live there. So it's not like it's, that's the part that gets you, right? Um, they're just, you know, regular folks doing their thing. You know, you can have a coffee at a little cafe and, you know, everything's cool. Um, but it's, it's, it's a very unique place. There's no other place in the world like it. Yeah, absolutely. I would totally recommend uh, if you're in the neighborhood to go check it out. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? Well, you ask me that all the time, and today I really don't know. Um, <laughs> to be perfectly, to be perfectly honest, uh, I have been thinking about a variety of different things, and I haven't had an idea sort of, you know, jump at me. So uh, next week is going to be a bit of a surprise. Although I'm kind of leaning towards the environment may make some comments about that thank you for tuning in if you liked this episode be sure to leave us a review you can find past episodes on apple podcasts spotify iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts you can find us on facebook and at offshoreexplorer.org our theme song is sung by paulette mcmilliams with additional music by amano itomi and tommy Tway. until next time fair winds and calm seas